Hey guys, it's Pete. Just wanted to let you know that my second book, Frankenstein's Soul's Echo, is now available. It continues the adventure from Frankenstein to Life Beyond, which is a direct sequel to Mary Shelley's classic novel. Both Frankenstein Life Beyond and Frankenstein's Soul's Echo are available as ebooks on Amazon, iBookstore, Barnes & Noble, Kaboo, and of course from EnceladusLiterary.com. Thanks, now on with the show. Welcome to Hindsight is 2020, a show where we look at anything in this world and arrogantly say how we'd fix it. And I can prove it with my usual flawless logic. These two idiots. <laughs> we give our thoughts on movies and TV shows that should or should not have been. What have we got on a spacecraft that's good? I'll get back to you, Gene. With your host... Pete. You need a break, Ken? If they don't get one, I don't get one. And Greg. Yeah, we read you, Ken. Are the flowers blooming in Houston? Uh, that's a negative, Jim. I don't have the measles. And we slowly and mercilessly beat our subject to death. All right, look, we're not doing this, gentlemen. We are not going to do this. We're not going to go bouncing off the walls for 10 minutes because we're just going to end up right back here with the same problems. Try to figure out how to stay alive. Measles and rocks. Rock, moon, measles, firms. Measles, moon, rocks, firm. Black cat, ladder. Jim Lovell's crew. Don't give me anything. Don't give me anything I'll have up there. <laughs> and I don't have the measles. I have no idea why I threw that laugh. <laughs> well, that's how we begin talking about Apollo 13. <laughs> Apollo 13, uh, otherwise known as the make microphone noise, so I can turn my microphone down a little bit. But then we're not starting nothing. Nope. We're already underway. Tough titties, folks. You had to deal with a little microphone noise here. Oh. But, uh, we are talking about the... One of the two finest films of 1995. The other one being a little movie called Batman Forever. I mean, uh, <clears throat> Clueless. <laughs> Halloween 6, Revenge of Michael Myers. <laughs> I think it was Brave Clue. <laughs> Brave Clueless Heart. Yes, Braveheart. Yeah, or Apollo Heart. <laughs> yes, Apollo Heart, also known as 1995. Oh, my gosh. We're yes. back here again? <laughs> well, we're in a positive hindsight now. Oh, 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 okay. We're in a new world. We're in a new age here of Trumpism, where we're going to do everything in our oh, power God, to keep things positive. No, no, no. no. <laughs> yes, we are dating when this podcast is being recorded, as we are... are our country's wounds are very fresh and very open to infection. <laughs> well, so much for that positivity bent, sir. Fine. Well, the positivity is watch this movie. Oh, okay. Well, why would I want to do that? Because it's flipping awesome, Mr. Bagglesworth. <laughs> is it because Chris Ellis plays Deke Slayton? Uh, possibly. <laughs> that, that, a little bit. <laughs> is it because Tracy Renner is Mary Hayes? Uh, 
I think you're on on track, but uh, I'd say you're way off. So <laughs> Apollo 13, one of them classics that has grown over time. And uh, my my personal thing is that I remember seeing it. I remember liking it. But 1995 for me, me was the year of Braveheart. And so it kind of got lost to history. And we've gone over the 1995 box office, so we don't have to go too deep into that but yes and a hindsight is 2020 of you kids should see this apollo 13 one of the finest representations of nasa but we're going uber meta for ourselves or i bet you do (laughs) (laughs) and you also dear listener hear our fondness for gary sinise and his (laughs) rat-tailed nasal voice of uh Ken Mattingly. <laughs> as well as Ken's working on it. I'm betting you now. So we are talking about Ron Howard's classic. Why are we talking about this movie other than it was one of the top two for you in 1995? What, what about this has staying power and why revisit it exclusively since we already covered this year? Because it actually happened. This actually happened. Some people say it did. Yeah. Stupid, <laughs> stupid Hollywood ending, though, of them surviving. Give me a yeah, break. Like that would happen. Those three astronauts would never survive all that, except for the people who survived to tell it. Yeah. Well, uh, just <laughs> facts. What? That's right. <laughs> it's a. Yeah. It, if, uh, if anyone listening to this is not aware, this is based off of a true story. Um, about a spoiler alert. That's funny. <laughs> oh, we're past the two weeks point. Oh, okay. Um, about a incident that happened with the Apollo 13 spacecraft, and basically, it's a tale of survival and kind of a nation coming together with bated breath, um, waiting to see if these three men would make it back. And um, it was one of those kind of big moments in history as far as the space program went. And, um, yeah, it could have, if not for the dedication of a lot of people on the ground and uh, the courage of the people who were actually flying the mission, it could have ended in much, much different circumstances. Yes, thank God we did not have a mission control made up of guys from airplane. (laughs) Well, I say, let them crash. <laughs> Up to 6,000 feet down to 800 feet. What an <laughs> asshole. <laughs> yes, it's, a, it's a, a harrowing story of not giving up. It's of everyone, the typical smartest people on the planet, working ingeniously to come up with a plan to save these three guys. And in essence kind of saved the American space program because a little history lesson for you. Yes, they did. (laughs) Yeah, a little history lesson for you, kids, is the famous Neil Armstrong on the moon was Apollo 11. The Apollo 13 mission they were already talking about, and it's in this movie, eh, why are we still doing this? We already got to the moon, so what's the point? We got there twice. We beat the Russians. Yeah, so, and in failure, you learn more than you do oftentimes than you do in triumph, and so they triumph by landing on the moon twice, and out of this one incident, they learned 
a lot more, which led to Skylab, to the space shuttle program, to the space station that we have now and everything that we're moving exponentially for. It's almost like you you needed this hiccup to happen in order to be able to move forward in a, a smart manner and not get too, they're getting too cocky, eh? <laughs> well, um, I mean, God, the, the whole logistics behind a program like Apollo um, and really the entire American space program rose up in a relatively short amount of time. I mean, you had all these various agencies involved developing all this different new technology. Uh, you had all these different companies um, you had to have all the political will and capital kind of behind all of it. And, um, yeah, just a really unique period in history and one definitely worth kind of immortalizing like this. Uh, this also, um, in case I forget to mention it, led to a, cause I, I'm pretty sure the series came after it. I'll do a really great HBO series called from the earth to the moon. Yes. This was the kickoff of uh, the Tom Hanks, Ron Howard, and ultimately Spielberg collaboration period where they seemed to, it was either Tom Hanks with Spielberg and they would do Saving Private Ryan and then Band of Brothers, or Hanks with, with Ron Howard and Brian Grazer and Imagine Entertainment, and then they did From the Earth to the Moon after this. So really took great power to not only tell good stories, but to document this stuff that could very well be lost to history, if not with without, you know, putting these things down in storytelling form. And quite frankly, when Howard made this movie in 95, I mean, I was graduating high school. I'd never heard of it before. I'm pretty sure most of America didn't hear of it. Um, I mean, my parents were on their honeymoon when that happened, and my my parents were like, Oh, yeah, I kind of remember something about that. <laughs> so it wasn't like an earth-shattering moment. It wasn't like a 9-11 or a Pearl Harbor, but it's worth documenting for history, not to mention it's just a hell of a freaking awesome film. Oh, the odds were so stacked against these men ever landing alive back on Earth. <laughs> Howard didn't have to really use too much dramatic license. Most no. of the things that happened, they happened. So yeah. to steal an old line from Lost, whatever happened, happened. And whatever he showed up on screen, I mean, he, can, he consolidated some things. You listen to the commentary, and one of the commentary tracks on the old DVD is with uh, Jim Lovell, who's Tom Hanks is playing, and his wife Marilyn, who Kathleen Quinlan in the movie was playing. And they actually did a commentary track where they said, well, this little thing here didn't happen, or this little thing here didn't happen. And a lot of it had to do with the relationships between the three guys, which was Jim Lovell, which is Hanks, Fred Hayes, which is Bill Paxton, and... Paxton. You! (laughs) Oh, jeez, Jim. And then uh, Kevin Bacon was playing Jack Swaggart, and... Swigert was the backup pilot who took over for Gary Sinise, who will affectionately from now on be known as Sinise Mattingly. Uh, Roger that. <laughs> Which that's that's a story in the movie. We don't have to go into the, we don't have to go into the measle moan. Um, 
But that, I mean, that was really the only dramatic license that sounded like they took was all right. Well, yes, Fred Hayes was sick through most of the trip, and so they kind of extrapolated that. And Jack Swaggart was the one who initially stirred, just did the standard procedure that ultimately led to the accidental explosion that set everything off. So they made a very they made a dramatic choice to make, you know, tension between these guys. And even though Lovell says that it really wasn't there, I mean, they were all professionals. So the the biggest thing that was there that Ron Howard extrapolated on is that they had to shut down all the, the power to the command module and the lunar module to survive. So it got to freezing cold temperatures. So what's going to happen when you got three guys bouncing on a tin can for six days? in uh, deep space at like 40 degrees or 35 degrees. I, I don't think they have time to argue. I think it just has time to contemplate life. <laughs> so, uh, but outside of that, yeah, every event happened, and it was just portrayed beautifully and acted well. I mean, the thing garnered Oscar nominations for uh, Hanks, Ed Harris, and Kathleen Quinlan got a Best Picture nomination. It was actually the odds-on favorite before Braveheart beat it. Um, I think it got a adapted screenplay. It was just a, it, and it's a perfect time capsule too. Not just for 1995, but a time capsule for the actual time period to show what we as, in a general sense, what we as people can do if we come together for a common purpose. Well said. Um, and that, folks, is our show. Go watch uh, Apollo 13. It's available streaming or on your local Blockbuster video. We're picking up for five bucks. <laughs> you want to go get them for five bucks? Go to a flea market. <laughs> hey, you want Apollo 13? Give me five bucks. <laughs> uh, yeah, these uh, these positive hindsight's a little more difficult because all I can do is just say, go, 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 go see it. It's great. Oh, I was going to actually talk about some of the stuff that I really like about it. Oh, um, no. Now we got to hear from you. Oh, wait a minute. Uh, oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> uh, go ahead, Flight. Uh, okay. Well, actually, that's a good way of starting it because I was going to praise Ed Harris. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, Let's not make things worse by guessing. uh, Gene Krantz, who uh, is the mission controller and um, just does a really nice job of kind of showing a person under immense pressure, uh, reacting to it kind of gracefully and um, proactively. And I, I just feel like there's so many times that you see, and again, we're talking about like, Professionals. We're talking about people who are trained for this kind of stuff. Um, yeah, but very, it's very military. Everyone in this is very military based. I mean, yeah. everyone in NASA is from military, so they all have that sense of, you know, procedures and put this thing down and on paper. And, and as his famous line is, "Let's work the problem. Let's not make things worse by guessing." 
Yep, and there's been so many things in my life where that uh, that line of thinking, or you know, another line of his that we always quote all the time, is there anything we can do about it? Not now, flight. <laughs> well, they don't need to know then, do no, they? Really. Yeah, you just—it's just like, all right. Well, sometimes you just got to say, hey, this is where we're at, or this is where I'm at, and you you know, kind of handle it again proactively in the best way that you can and um, just deal with the situation as it arises. And I think uh, that's great advice no matter what problem or issue, you know, we as a nation or uh, us as individuals kind of deal with um, to kind of realize that. Sometimes it's just like, okay, well, we just got to accept whatever is going on here. We got to, as he said, work the problem. Absolutely. And this movie kind of kindled a, a little passion for me, too, about NASA and its heyday and, you know, learning more about it and watching from Earth, from the Earth to the Moon and got a little action figure of a, a NASA astronaut, Apollo astronaut on my desk right now. It's been there for 20 years and it's followed me everywhere I've gone. Uh, right next to my Yoda, the Tick, and Barney Rubble. So go figure. Uh, well, uh, that is a collection. <laughs> <laughs> but what you were saying about Ed Harris's character, uh, Gene Kranz, th- that motto, it it rears itself well in my favorite movie of last year as well, which was in The Martian. And it's very similar in that NASA kind slash military mentality of, okay, Let's assess that we have a problem, then let's assess the problem, and then let's work the problem and not get layered down in woe is me and emotions. And, and it's a, a wonderful way to to just work through everything. I mean, the way Matt Damon has the line at the end of The Martian where he says, you can either choose to accept that this is how you end or you can choose to fix it. And get on with it. And you just sit down and you do the math and you start working one problem and then the next problem and then the next after that. And then eventually you'll come home. And it's very similar, a spin off of Apollo 13, which I mean, that's probably why I like The Martian so much. It's just a mix between Castaway and Apollo 13. Um, but it's that sense of just working the problem. And I think what makes the movie works so well is it's not just this and I think you had this critique about the Martian and I think this is where Apollo 13 wins out over that is that it's not just here's the here's mission control working this problem and here are the guys in the capsule the the extra mile that I think Apollo 13 goes to that the Martian didn't was here's Kathleen Quinlan playing Marilyn Lovell at home and dealing with what she has to as she's worrying about her husband out in space and the families that are dealing with it and then the newscasters who are dealing with that. Whereas you have something like The Martian, the only thing they're hitting on Earth is the people in Mission Control working to bring Matt Damon home. And, and I think you also, oh, I'm sorry. No, and I just, I think that's where you had the. The minor critique when we talked about The Martian last year was you were critiquing how it didn't have any sort of deep emotional resonance for Matt Damon's character to home. Yeah, I found it kind of cold. 
Um, the other thing that I that I think gives this a leg up for me personally is the interplay between the three men in the capsule. Um, in the Martian, you've just got you know, basically the one guy. Yeah, you um, have you you have cast away an Apollo thirteen. <laughs> yeah, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> It, whereas, and again, I think that's where Ron Howard took the the license, the dramatic license, was to create more of a dramatic interplay between the three guys than what actually happened. I think that was the only time he did spin it a little bit. But again, it makes for great entertainment while still holding true to the truth of the story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just just thinking about. You know what we as a nation were able to accomplish with this. Um, you know, I know this has been bantied about for decades at this point and everything, but you just you, you can't help but look back and admire so much of this. So much of the just the whole atmosphere and the feeling, and yeah, and dare I say that it's hindsight Ooh. to look back, baby. Um, but if it it's probably there's a little bit of hindsight in looking back on the Apollo program in the sixties and and homogenizing it into one big old we were all behind it and it was glorious. Well, yeah, that wasn't the case we know. Yeah, not necessarily. <laughs> but the there's feeling still, there's a reason that the funding went away not <laughs> too long after all of this. Yeah, but the the feeling was there. There was yes. a central drive that somebody could latch on to if you wanted to when you lived in that era that we we just don't we just don't have that right now. There's no centralized thing that whether you choose to to pay attention to it or not, it, it, it could be there. And I just, it's not there. There's no, you know, how many presidents since I think the first Bush, like we're going to put a mission to Mars. Every single one of them says it because they want to have that same resonance that you see God, television commercials right now for cruise ships still using the JFK speech from 61 where he says, we're going to put a man on the moon in this decade and do the other things. Not mm. because they're easy, because they're hard. And they, we actually did it. Of course, we had a Cold War to help well, really yeah, there fund were, it. There were other factors driving it initially, yes. But we just can't seem to recapture that because we've had one, two, three, you know, four presidents in a row now all give some sort of speech of, we're going to go to Mars, and we're going to put men on Mars, and yay, and it's applause in a state of the union, and then well, there's no real passion behind that. It's just kind of like, well, it's a mission statement, but... Yeah, we got other things to spend money on, I guess. And it would be really nice to just get back to that 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 national communal feeling of we're all striving towards something that's greater than ourselves. And, yeah, it really has been missing since about 1972 when Gene Searnan left the moon as the last man. I think he was the last man. I can't remember. but I think that's correct. It, it just you just lose that, and this movie just captures kind of that borderline between when we were fading out of it, and this was less than a year since Armstrong landed on the moon, mm-hmm. and and they were already talking about it at the beginning. I mean, he brought Roger Corman, famed B movie director, that helped Ron Howard get his start, came in there and was acting at the beginning of the movie, talking about how. Well, since we've already beaten the Russians to the moon, well, what are we paying for this for? 
it just it would be so nice to just get back to something like that. Well, and to think of all the tech, technological advances that came out of you know these uh, missions and everything, and um, just that drive to kind of expand our knowledge of the overall universe, solar system, whatever, wherever you want to draw the line out there, <laughs> um, uh, you know, is is something else that has continued in you know a lot of ways and everything. But I don't think there's ever been kind of that like you were saying, unifying moment uh, to kind of bring all of it together um, for everybody where you can just kind of say, hey, look what we actually accomplished. Look what we actually did. Yeah, there's the there's the Ed Harris, the, the Gene Krantz quotes that we, we love, but probably my favorite quote from this movie and one of my favorites of all time is at the beginning where – it was actually my first MySpace quote, so go there. Hey. <laughs> hey, kids, kids, have remember, you, remember MySpace? Back <laughs> I don't know. I think Tom might still be my friend. <laughs> um, but my first quote was, we live in a world where man has landed on the moon. It's not a miracle, you know. We just decided to go. Mm-hmm. And that's a very powerful thought when you break it down to anything is legitimately possible if we just decide to do it and we're just missing that now in a grander sense than beyond Ron Howard's production of 20 one years ago, <laughs> getting very oh esoteric. It, ha- it has been twenty-one years, hasn't it? Wow! Yes, it has. Which means it was actually in production twenty-two years ago. <laughs> so, somebody who's out there drinking in a bar—you weren't alive to witness Apollo thirteen on the big screen. <laughs> Go get it for five bucks. <laughs> That's right. Get it for five bucks at a flea market. <laughs> I don't know why we're doing this. I don't have the measles. I'm not going to get the measles. Measle moon. That's a firm. And plus, just on the filmmaking aspect, I remember there were some uh, interviews with actual Apollo astronauts where they went to Ron Howard and asked him, how did he get the footage of the launch? Not realizing that this was the early heyday of CGI, and he did all that in a computer. And it actually looks pretty good still. This is probably the next step after Jurassic Park that people kind of forget about is that a lot of the CGI that was involved in this still holds up really well. I just think the production values in general are pretty sharp on this. I mean, uh, the whole having to simulate weight weightlessness in this and everything and how they went about doing that um, was interesting and unique um, with using the good old vomit comet. <laughs> Though that's a kind of a myth. Uh, Is it? Well, not, gen- not total. There's a... A myth that all the floating scenes were oh, all coming, but it, it really—I think he said maybe like twenty, twenty-five percent of the shots you see where they look weightless in space is on that actual comet, and that's just when you see their full body like flying in between the sure. lunar module and the command module. 
but most of the other time, if you see him from the waist up or anything, that's just simply the actor just kind of bobbing up and down on their knees and doing a whole lot of squats and stuff that you can't see below the frame just to kind of look, or, or they're on the edge of like a little teeter totter and two crew guys are on the other side, just kind of pushing up and down. Um, cause it's all what the camera sees and that's all that matters. And as usual, if something has a good soundtrack, I'll pipe up for that. And um, this one's uh, this one's kind of fun it's, to go back and listen to. Yeah, this was one of the first ones that I remember actually buying the score and the soundtrack. Yeah, okay. Because the score was James Horner, and the soundtrack had a bunch of music from the 60s. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, the score is definitely... It's very, very James Horner. It's got a, <laughs> yeah. Which again, belying the the man's last name, rest in peace, is uh, a lot of horns in that music. <laughs> a lot of. He's got he's got horns. Because he did Braveheart the same year, and you can, and then he did Titanic two years later, and you can take those three scores and just be like. Oh, that's the same guy. <laughs> you can listen to like two bars of all three of those scores and just like, oh, that must be James Horner. Yeah, very, very similar to that run where he did Star Trek 2, 3, and then he did Aliens, and you listen to any of them and you're like, uh, uh, oh, okay. <laughs> oh, I so can, he I doesn't do different. A little something from here and there, yeah, with all three of those movies. So, yeah, I, that's pretty common, I think, for most composers, especially if you're working in uh, short periods of time here between movies well and i'd say as a capper the end of the movie it, it just works so well when you have the tension building of them trying to go through re-entry and there's nothing more that they can do and the blackout usually lasts three minutes when they're going through the atmosphere and this one lasted four and it's one of those it's like, you know, all the president's men or something like that where you know the ending. You know what's going to happen. And yet you're being sucked in so well by the filmmakers that you're chewing your fingernails off. And it it just w- works so well on that level as just a pure film that to add on top of it then at the end, oh, wait, that's right. This was real. And that just, I think, adds that extra kick to it that makes it last longer and I've, I've seen it more recently than I've seen Braveheart and Braveheart I always qualify as one of my top three favorite movies of all time and I, as I get older this one continues to stay there and I haven't seen Braveheart in over a decade at least mm-hmm. yeah we uh, well we this is a bit more quotable at least for us <laughs> than Braveheart <laughs> sure yeah sure now let's be, begin the quest for the book. <laughs> oh, oh, we'll get into that one another time. Get out. <laughs> oh, God. But is there anything else we could cover outside of go see this movie? It is outstanding, and it's in the, the prime zone of Tom Hanksness. Um, if you're not familiar with the actual historical event, uh, it's worth looking up some of the details. It really is quite a harrowing story. This was based off of a uh, book by Jim Lovell. Um, so, you know, if you want a firsthand account, <laughs> hey, go uh, go learn you up some there. And, again, the the effects hold up. The acting holds up. The music holds up. It's a period piece to begin with, so it's not like it's going to age horrifically. 
because it's based around 1970 anyways. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is, even though Ron Howard won Best Director for A Beautiful Mind and that won Best Picture, I this this is Ron Howard's high point. I, I I can't imagine that he would do anything better in my eyes than this. Well, to me, this is his best film. Um, and then we to... we could argue about Hanks. I, I don't know if this would qualify as Hanks' best film, but uh, nothing will will top Bachelor Party or <laughs> <laughs> Turner and Hooch. <laughs> <laughs> that should lead into our next episode is uh oh well okay the, and uh, the, insert the uh, <laughs> clip that i keep putting up of him losing it in the money pit <laughs> uh, our next episode should be that run of uh of canine police partner dog movies you know with jim belushi and uh turner and hooch and burt reynolds and a dog and other things that had dog partners for some reason, like the late eighties, early nineties. Hey, we have a dog. Are we partner. supposed to stay positive about those? I'm confused. Uh, oh heavens, no! <laughs> <laughs> and other, other than saying, please stop making these. Movies. <laughs> I, I don't know what other critique I could offer as far as <laughs> who is in charge of all these? What the hell? What the hell? Late eighties. Why did these? Why are there so many? Many of these, it's like all those body switching movies in the same era. Why were there so many? Oh God, Kirk Cameron, stop! <laughs> Cameron, stop! I think that's pretty much for anything. Kirk Cameron, no, stop. <laughs> but Apollo thirteen, it uh, is yes. a fine, great, wonderful piece of cinema that should never be forgotten and. And I always feel like it is because just it doesn't get its due. I think that's why we're doing this episode. Is it? It just feels like in the zeitgeist of great movies, it it just doesn't seem like it ever reaches that lexicon that it should because it didn't win the best picture to Braveheart. But you know, other great movies of all time didn't win best picture. So I just wonder when it will ever get its due as far as, hey, that was really just, that was aces from top to bottom, everybody. I don't know. I mean, if the new age of exploration really gets going here, there's talk of, there's been talk, but I mean, I think there's a little bit more serious talk here about actually going back to the moon now. Um, And certainly, like you said, there's ongoing talk about, ending up on Mars and everything and uh, we'll we'll see where it all goes but um, I, I think if you enter a kind of second age of space exploration and everything that uh, this might regain some popularity in the mass collective conscious here. Well Roger that Houston. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah in closing too uh, definitely um I haven't seen it anywhere streaming. I'm sure it is somewhere, but uh, definitely check out that series from the Earth to the Moon. It really does a great job of giving a much broader picture of this era and all the facets involved in it and the people and, you know, stories tragic and triumphant. 
It should be on either HBO Go or Now because it's kind of. I think they have a lot of their own catalog. Go, but it wasn't there. I was really disappointed. Actually, I thought, oh, hey, cool, I can. Nope. Well, maybe HBO Now has more of a a log, a backlog of like older titles. Who knows? But it's out there. It's available. Even if you have to get on DVD or whatever, (gasps) it's worth it. Yes. What is this physical media you speak of? I. Just crazy talk. We are going back to the 90s. <laughs> I bet you do. Right right. If if by some miracle we get this out uh, ahead of Thanksgiving or just after, uh, we hope you had a happy holiday or um, that you've had a happy holiday. <laughs> that, that you have a safe Measle-free holiday without any black cats or lunar module ladders. And you can get on to Jim Lovell's crew. Ken's cooking the turkey. (laughs) (laughs) Don't forget to like us on Facebook. Episodes can be downloaded on iTunes or at EnceladusLiterary.com. Look, I don't have the measles. I'm not going to get the measles. Opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the individual hosts and may not reflect those of Enceladus Literary. Okay, but... Ah!